This episode of Behind the Bliss podcast is made possible by our generous patrons. So we have a new system in place for those of you that want to maybe give and be included a little bit more intimately in this Behind the Bliss community. If you're listening and that's you, we have three different tiers and levels in which you can be involved in, where you can get early access to episodes, an extra episode each month, memory verse printouts every week, and 10-minute devotionals every week as well. We seriously cannot do this without you all. If you love our show and would want to join our patrons, head over to BehindTheBlissPodcast.com and click Give, or head to Patreon.com slash BehindTheBliss. Welcome to the Behind the Bliss Podcast, where Rachel Autry brings weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. My name is Rachel and I'm so excited you're joining us today because this episode is way different than normal episodes that we do. It is a question and answer episode, but it's from you. So if you aren't familiar, but if you follow us on Instagram, you saw the opportunity to submit a question using our direct message with whatever is on your heart. So we've got questions from marriage topics to grieving topics to fun, Bible resource topics. I mean, we've covered a lot of the board here and I am doing my best to take a whack at it and try to answer your questions. These were amazing questions that really caused me to think and ponder and spend time with the Lord and in prayer over my answers. So I hope that you find these helpful. Always know that you can ask questions and we are happy to answer them either in our direct messages over on Instagram at Behind the Bliss Podcast or my personal Instagram, which is at Rachel.autry. I'll put both in our show notes or just send us an email to hello at Behind the Bliss But I think that these questions that we chose from the questions that were submitted are a great roundup of different topics and ideas and frequently asked questions that we get. So let's hop on in to our very first question that was submitted earlier last week. Okay, so a lot of times in our culture, um, there's this idea of being overdoing. Um, And I think I am struggling, you know, with that kind of balance. And so my question is, how do you accept grace and be still and be in the present, but also move forward with decisions in your everyday, in life, um, and how do you kind of balance that in your prayer life, in your day-to-day, and so on. So I would first say that, yes, it kind of goes hand in hand. So what you're talking about in the beginning of being a human being rather than a human doing, which is this tension between being and doing, we, we are a child of God. We are chosen. This identity that we have is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so when you first remember who you are and whose you are, you can then be obedient with doing things you've been called to do because of it. So it does go hand in hand. Kind of what you were saying though about the whole being and doing tension and tango is we also have to remember that what we do is not who we are. So that's the good and the bad. Like what we accomplish And what we do as successes is not who we are, as well as what we mess up and the things that we are maybe ashamed of is also not who we are. And so when you know 
again, like I said, whose you are and who you are and who you've been created to be, and you really get in the word and you get to know your maker, you then can know what you're being called to and do the things and accomplish the things and set your mind to the things because of the desire you've been given through Jesus and through who Jesus is and this gift of the Holy Spirit that he left with us. Another question um, I have is how do you deal with shame? Um, looking at sin in your life and looking back and, and you know, when you're saved from sin, um, sometimes that sin doesn't just go away immediately. So how do you deal with shame and guilt um, with continual sin and knowing that you're not perfect, but also um, understanding that God calls us to a higher standard? Um, so I guess what the balance is between accepting grace for continual sin and then holding ourselves accountable and being obedient to the Lord's will and his word in, in that. Okay, another good balance question. Oh man, when we mess up knowing that grace covers it all and when we throw that out there like, oh, I can do whatever I want or be whoever I want or say whatever I want, listen to whatever I want, watch whatever I want because grace covers it. It cheapens what grace is. It's almost a slap in the face of what Jesus did for us. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm like, not making you guys happy saying all this, but I just have to tell you the truth that it kind of, it's, it's offensive to the Lord. It's, it's offensive to Jesus hanging on a cross and dying for our sins, hoping that then we in return would acknowledge him and love him so much that we want to become the likeness of him that really we would just take that as a gift and just like throw it away. Like, yeah, I'll accept it. I know I get grace. So I'm going to go ahead and do all these things, even though he asks me not to anyways, think it's just really hurtful. And so I just would hope that we're not abusing his grace. I have great news. So in 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 16, it says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is now taken away, meaning that we now can have a relationship full on with nothing in between us, with Jesus and with God our Father. Now the Lord is the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I would say in those places where you feel shame, I would invite the Spirit of the Lord to speak to it, to remind you of who you are. Again, like I was saying earlier, it's first so important to have an identity of who you are, and that who you are is what your maker and who you're created created you to be, not what you've done or what you've accomplished or what you've messed up in the past. And so with that, once we kind of claim that, we're like, okay, I want to know who I am, who I've been created to be, not, you know, what I've done or what I've struggled with or maybe the things that I so easily turn to. It then becomes a, I want to know myself and know who I've been created to be so badly that I then, I guess, have to know the creator. Um, my pastor said this one time, to find out what something is, you have to ask the person who created it. To find out who we are and what we are and why we're here, I think it's important that we ask our creator. And so cool that we have such a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with God and that this veil has been removed, says Second Corinthians. So now that it's been taken away, we can have that place of freedom and we can ask him freely to remind us and to show us and to speak into who we are in our full identity and I think once we start grasping who we are not what we've done and we see who we've been created to be I think that's when shame gets put away I also know that that's when based on second corinthians when we become transformed 
And knowing what I know about who the enemy is, it is that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And a lot of times, personally, he does that to me with shame. And so if you feel like what's on your life and this inner voice or inner critic is calling on you and a lot of times is reminding you of your sin and your shame, I would with just full transparency and authenticity and just a genuine spirit turn to the Lord that I am so sorry. I am disgusted with my sin. I hate when it comes up. I hate thinking about it. It is cringeworthy and I'm embarrassed even when I'm on my own because that's the place I find myself a lot. And then I say, you are welcome in this place. I need you to remind me of who I am, who I've been created to be, who you are. And when that moment happens, I would just encourage you to have like a two-minute moment of silence. And I would challenge you that those words that you hear are probably going to be daughter. They're probably going to be chosen, set apart, all these other really cool words that, that he has for you and the ways that he feels about you. Write them down. And also know that that's not a coincidence. Those are holy words. And so if you're listening and you are really walking through this pit of shame, I would say to you, that what Jesus did on the cross was enough and it covers your sin, it covers your shame, it covers the things you've done and the things you're going to do. And that has to have more power to you than the shame itself. Okay, so this is a two-part question. Um, What does the Bible say about seasons of waiting and waiting patiently? And then the second part is, do you have any wisdom you could give someone in their early 20s about what it looks like to wait and to wait well? This is an amazing question, and I would even say that many of the people here listening are in some kind of waiting season. You're either, let's just get personal, you're either waiting to graduate or to find out where you're going to go to school. You might be waiting on a companion. Maybe you're in a season of singleness and you're waiting. Maybe you are waiting to have a child. Maybe you are struggling with fertility. Maybe you're waiting to retire or to become an empty nester. I don't know. I just know for a fact that we are all waiting on something. I know it. So if you're in a waiting season, I want you to know that you're not lonely, that I'm waiting for something. Thomas and I are waiting for something. And so I don't know why, but that that brings so much more peace to me in my heart is knowing that I'm not the only one that's going through this whole if and when season. So one, you're not alone. In Galatians, it talks through the fruits of the Spirit, which I'm pretty sure a lot of us would be familiar with, but I'll read them to you just in case you need a reminder. They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I don't know if you heard it, but patience was a fruit of the Spirit. What's so neat about the fruits of the Spirit are, simply put, that when we are operating as Christ has called us to operate, we'll then bear these fruits And patience is a fruit that we'll bear, but we can only bear it and we can only practice it when there's something to be patient for. Because you're in this waiting season, I would say praise God because it's a really cool opportunity for you to practice patience. And you're probably like, Rachel, that is so annoying. But I'm just saying realistically, if we've been given the opportunity to carry patience as a fruit of the spirit, then we would need to be okay when circumstances happen that we're able to then practice our patience. It's something we've been called to. It's something Jesus had to walk through. And there's so many different points in scripture where people had to practice patience. And they were also in a waiting season. One of my favorites that I think gives us a lot of practical truths is the story of Noah in the ark. So you think of Noah where God gave him a promise or God gave him a commandment and was like, build me an ark. You're going to need it. And he's like, 
what in the world? It's dry. They've never seen rain before. People saw him building this huge ark. It was on display. Everyone made fun of him, but yet he knew the promise that God had made him and also the commandment that God had given him. And so when he started building the ark, of course, he probably felt ridiculous too, but he was doing it because God called him to. And sure enough, one day a rain came. And I hope that that is some kind of testimony to you to think through what has God given you? What kind of commandment has he given you? What kind of calling has he bestowed upon you that you can do in this waiting season, knowing the promise that he's put right around the corner? Even if it looks ridiculous, even if you feel super silly, what is it? Because if anyone was super patient, it was Noah. Because I think I relate to Noah a lot because I, being a three and achiever on the Enneagram, I hate for like my failures to be put on display and like when I'm called to something and it's actually ridiculous, I just don't want people to watch me because what if it goes wrong? What if people think poorly of me? It's just kind of where my heart and my mind go, to be honest with you. So Noah's probably thinking the same thing. Like God called him to something ridiculous. He didn't know the reason why. He was super confused, but did it anyways. And then when the rain came, he didn't look ridiculous anymore. He looked prepared. He looked like he knew God because he did. So I think it's a really cool testimony for us because we are called to be patient like Noah, where we've been given a project, a task at hand, a commandment, if you will, where we are to do something in this waiting season. We're not just waiting around laid back on our couch. I think we're called to to do something, put our hands to work, reap a harvest, go and do the work while you're waiting, but know that the promise is still to come. There's a really cool quote that says, until the door opens, praise God in the hallway. And I think that's so fun and and sometimes it can be cheesy. But how true is it? While we're waiting for that door to open and until it opens, we're called to wait on him. We need to praise him in the hallway. Don't just wait for the breakthrough to happen. Don't wait for the miracle to happen. Don't wait for your companion to come by and ask you on a date and you fall in love forever and ever. I think that when we get wrapped up in what's to come, we so easily lose focus on where we are and the things put right in front of us. And so when you praise God in the hallway, it's easy for you to find reasons for gratefulness when you're patient. It's easier to love other people that are also in a waiting season because like I said earlier, spoiler alert, everyone's waiting for something. And so I would even encourage you and challenge you to find someone that you love, like a friend maybe a spouse, maybe a roommate, sister, mom, whatever, call them and be like, hey, what are you waiting on? What's something that you're holding out for? And I think it would be a surprise. It might even come to a shock of what it is for them. And when you figure out what it is, pray for them and ask them to pray for you. And in that, I think you'll find another way to exercise and to become more patient in your waiting season. Hey, Rachel, I love your Behind the Bliss podcast, and I'd be interested to see what kind of resources you like to use for daily devotionals or just trying to dive deeper into God's word. Yes, this is like one of my favorite questions. I love this. I talk about this with my friends all the time. There's a lot of resources out there, y'all, like so much. And probably by the time this episode comes out, probably we'll have a few more favorites. But I will tell you what I'm loving right now. If you are a devotional type of person or you like a day-to-day devotion, I love and have been loving for like the past two years, New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. They are profound, but they're also digestible where you feel like you can apply it to your life or apply it to your day. And then let's say you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I would love more. It gives you further scripture to read based on the topic or whatever revelation he talked about that day. So 
New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp is phenomenal. If you are maybe wanting to grow in your prayer life or you're wanting to record things that are happening or prayer requests that you have, then there is a journal that my friend Madison gave me. It's by Valmarie Paper Company, but it's a prayer journal for 2020. So go ahead and get it now so you can start now in January. You can write out goals that you have, things that you're praying for, big prayer requests, heavy burdens, leaders in our government, friends that need the Lord, friends that you would love to see come to know Jesus. I mean, there's so many topics and prompts that you can use to figure out like where you can go in your prayer life if you're trying to figure out how to start praying if if you're not really used to it or if you sit down and you're like, well, I don't really know what to do or like, where do you even start? I think this is a really cool, really cool resource. Another one I'd say is if you're wanting to read your Bible and comprehend it and know where you are and like how to read your Bible, there is a book that Mary Scott Mercer, one of my great friends, recommended to me. It's called Woman of the Word by Jen Wilkin. She talks like about your approach to the Bible and how it might be backwards and how we really should be reading the Bible. And when we finally know how to read the Bible, where do you start? What do you do? How do you spend your time? Like, it is just truly fascinating to read through a book where you now are kind of figuring out how to, like, how your Bible was intended to be read, which is so cool. I think it's great for people that ask me, like, do I read it chronologically or do I read it just from Genesis to Revelation? Where do I start? I don't really know how just to flip open my Bible and start reading. This is a book that I recommend for you, but it's also incredible if you are curious about like inductive Bible study. Love it. Could not rave about it enough. It is Woman of the Word by Jen Wilkin. Then one more that I'll mention because it's so different from the rest. And I think it's really, really neat, especially when you're trying to figure out like how scripture all interweaves together is the Bible Project. They have a website online, but I love watching their YouTube videos. They've got like really cool animated, fun, short films and clips of different parts of the Bible. So like I just watched through Luke and they break Luke, the book of Luke down into several different videos. So like chapters one through seven and how that section is about one thing specific and how that leads then into the next video, which is the next section. I am loving the Bible project. And as much as I talk about it, I'm finding other people that love it too. So, and I'll go ahead and I'll put all of these resources in our show notes for today so that you can go and access them or start watching them or maybe order a book or something that you can go ahead and get started with these really cool resources. Hey, Rachel, I have a question. How do I encourage my spouse to grow closer to God? I know he has a good relationship with the Lord, but I always want to be encouraging um, to him to grow deeper and just to do more with his quiet time and his alone time with God. But I don't want to seem too pushy. Any tips? Okay, amazing question. I love it because it's like it's something that I have really prayed hard through is like how in that world do I encourage Thomas to love the Lord and to spend time with him and, you know, like seek out wisdom and maybe a wise counsel and a mentor. But also I don't want to be like so shovey that he just then starts resenting it all. So it's really strange. And I think probably he's felt the same way. Like he's like, I don't know how to encourage Rachel without like pushing her or when, you know, I see her go off one morning and she obviously didn't have a quiet time. Like I don't know how to lovingly call her out. Like it is a weird tango y'all. 
when Thomas is not spending time in the Lord or he's not being diligent in his walk with Jesus because I can feel it and it starts manifesting in different ways in our marriage and vice versa. Like I'm not the best wife when I haven't first spent time with Jesus. You start reaping the consequences of someone else's lack in the word when you are in this unity of what is marriage. So that's a great question. I'm so glad you brought it up, Madison. I recently have been talking to a few of my other friends that are wives about this, and we've all come to a really neat conclusion that is not even rocket science. It's kind of like a, oh, well, yeah, duh, kind of answer. But really, the the best thing that we can is to pray for our husbands, to get down on our hands and our knees and our face and just like lift him up to the Lord and say, I need you to sanctify him and us and me in this marriage to become everything that you have it to become. I'm hungry for him to be hungry for you. Like I am, I'm craving a husband that is craving you. And one I would say is get in prayer for your husband, like intercede for him, know what's going on in his life, which kind of leads me to my second point, which is know what's going on in his life. Like I, I think it's so easy to become roommates with your spouse where you're like, you know, in the mornings, have your little coffee routine, maybe quiet time, then you leave for work, and then y'all come home, and you make dinner, and then you go to sleep, and then you wake up, and you do it all again. Like, I I don't spend as much time with Thomas as he spends with other people, probably, in the 24 hours of the day. There leaves a lot of mystery, and like a lot of, I don't know, like, how you spent your day. I don't, I don't know your highs and your lows. I don't know these things unless he tells me. So wives, I would encourage you to ask your husband questions, like be interested in him, want to study him and learn him and know him to where then you know things to pray for him for. And then just like love him as Jesus loves him. There's there's a great book called Power of a Praying Wife. Um, there's actually books like Power of a Praying Fill in the Blank on a lot of things like Power of Praying Parent, Husband, Wife, Friend, Daughter, like tons. But Power of a Praying Wife is an amazing book. I'll link it in the show notes as well so that you have access to it or a link where you can find it. Um, it goes through all the different things to pray for for your husband. And then and then deeps, it dives way deeper into this conversation that we're having right now. So go and get you that book. It would really, really help. My husband and I have lost multiple people over the five years we've been married. Our first year we lost four people. Um, Two of those people was my father and his father. And I recently just lost my granddad. And I was wondering how, Rachel, I know you lost your dad. How do you keep grief from changing your viewpoint of God um, and not letting that grief turn to bitterness towards God? Um, So yeah. Also, I love you guys so much. Y'all are my favorite podcast. Y'all really get me through the day. Um, You hinted at it in your question. But I, yes, lost my dad when I was almost 17 years old. It was three days before my birthday, and I still to this day grieve pretty hard. There are days when I, like, completely lose it, and then there are really big anniversaries, like the anniversary of his accident, that I'm completely okay. So when I say grief is a monster and so unpredictable, I mean it, and I know it. I really do. It would be a lie if I told you that I never doubted God because of that circumstance. Um, That really was a huge dark season of my life, like the years to follow it shortly after. I have never asked so many questions about God. I have never doubted him more. And I've never felt so dark, but those were some of the most intimate years that I can remember of where I was asking really hard questions because 
I was just so desperate for answers. Grief is a monster, absolutely, but grief can also be so beautiful if you let it. It just draws us in closer to God and it draws us in to ask him questions that we might not have ever thought to ask him before because of this idea of loss. Please know that that is a hard season and that you are and you have the permission to grieve it. You have the permission to feel sad and to feel angry. I would encourage you, though, to be really honest with God in in those feelings. How cool is it to think that he created that, that he created the sadness and he created the heartache and he created the joy and the excitement and celebration. He created everything in between those two radicals. And Jesus experienced it too, so he knows. And because we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, he's able to intercede on our behalf because he knows what it feels like to go through these things and to lose people and for outcomes to happen that we never would have dreamed possible. You might be able to agree with me, but when I lost my dad, I had so many emotions. I was feeling so many different ways. And I think one of the reasons why my grieving season was really difficult was because I was making a lot of my decisions based on how I felt. I feel sad, so I'm just going to stay in my room. Or I don't feel hungry, so I'm not going to eat. That becomes really dangerous when we start getting dictated by our feelings. I mean, like, just let's take that truth as physical beings. (laughs) Like, if I feel like eating a whole cake to myself and I do like there's obviously going to be consequences and that's not healthy or nutritious so then let's take that into our spiritual life like when I feel like God isn't there I am not my feelings and I can't be my feelings or believe my feelings when you have so many emotions trying to have a say so and trying to play a role in this grieving season I think what's so important is that you first rely on who you know God to be First Peter says that we are called to cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us so much. So cast it upon him, like throw it at him. He can take it, I promise. Ask him the questions, pray how you need to pray, be there with him, be raw and real and genuine and honest. And he's going to meet you in those places. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you'll seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. So in those moments that you feel like feelings are just taking over and they are controlling the steering wheel, That's when you turn to what you know with your head and not know with your heart to be true. That's kind of what I was saying earlier in my last answer is also the reason why you need to know the word so intimately and why your time in the Bible should not be to make you feel a certain way. It should be that you're soaking up knowledge of who God is, that you can use this as a sword and you can use it to fight whenever you feel opposition or fight whenever you feel grief and sadness and burdens. Um, So... When you feel like that view of God is changing in a negative direction, I would highly suggest for you to do these things so that your feelings do not have control. Hey, Rach, it's your mama. Um, well, I was wondering, what are you loving right now? Like, what's something in your life that is your favorite that every day is not complete unless you have it? <laughs> I love my mom. Mom, I love you. I love ending episodes like this because I selfishly love to take what other people have to say and like go out and get whatever it is so I feel like my hair is better because of it my wardrobe is better because of it um okay what's something that I have to have every day and can't go without um besides the word of the lord I would say 
Hmm, okay, I've got two things. I am loving my Kenra shampoo and conditioner. My friend Danielle is a hair and makeup artist, and she has given me so many tips and tricks about my hair that truly, like, I would not be who I am. My hair would not be what it is without her. Thank you, Danielle. Um, but she told me about this Kenra shampoo and conditioner. It is the, I think it's called, like, color treatment or something. It's just to make sure that whatever color you have in your hair stays and it um, doesn't have any of the bad stuff. Don't ask me what it is. Um, like it doesn't have sulfates and such like that. I'm pretty sure. I think I'm saying that right, but it also smells delicious and, um, it's totally a treat for your hair, like totally a luxury. You can't get it at normal stores. Typically you have to get it from a salon or just like Amazon. I'll link it in our show notes. I'll try to find it for you guys, but it's amazing. I will tell you about my coffee treat, my go-to coffee drink that is so good. I make it at home, so I'm saving money, um, but it's so great to just enjoy and also is dairy-free. And it's technically like sugar-free because I sweeten it with something besides sugar. So I take coffee, like I just do a normal pot or cup of coffee. I have an espresso maker that I absolutely love and I put a little pod in there. I use the caramelizos if anyone else has an espresso and I get a cup of coffee ready and then while the cup of coffee is making I froth some almond milk or you can do oat milk. Oat milk is totally a treat because it's like way out of our budget for milk by far. So if you can get your hands on some oat milk that's awesome or just almond milk If you are not dairy-free and you love milk, just do normal milk. But froth it in a frother. It changes the game. I'll link my favorite frother too. And then you get a scoop of honey. So it's a scoop of honey, almond milk or oat milk, and coffee. And you basically mix the honey in your coffee. You pour your milk choice on top. And it's frothy, yummy, warm, but also sweet goodness. I have really bad allergies. And so sometimes... I like to do a scoop of local honey from Alabama in um, my coffees just to create some, I don't know, I think like, don't they say if you eat a random spoonful of honey or you put it in something, it's local, it should help with your allergies. So that's what I do. And it is so good. So good. And it doesn't have like the nasty creamers and, you know, although I love the flavorings, I just don't think my body and my stomach can like do it every morning. So this is an amazing amazing coffee, like, I don't know what you want to call it, drink that I would suggest to all of my friends. This was fun. We should do that again. I loved being able to, like I said earlier, dig a whack at all of your questions. These were incredible. They really made me think. And I hope that maybe you found yourself asking one of these questions earlier this week or to a friend recently, and that maybe this gives you some guidance and some different ways that you can move forward if you're going through some of the things that were asked today. Like I said, I put everything that we mentioned on our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. So if you wanted to access any of the things that we talked about from the resources to that amazing shampoo I was talking about, you can get all of that. You can get all of that online. If you love today's episode and you are loving Behind the Bliss Podcast in general, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a review. They're super easy. You just head over to Apple Podcasts, click whatever start amount you want, and you can even add a few words if you wanted to expand on why you're loving Behind the Bliss. I love scrolling through them and reading through them. They bring me so much encouragement. 
but it also gives other people an idea of what they can expect by listening to our show. So if you haven't done that already, I would be so blessed if you would start out 2020 strong for Behind the Bliss and leaving one. I hope you guys are having the best start to your year and that you have the best rest of your week. We'll see you next time.